The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, October 20th, 2019, on the basis of Luke 18, verses 18 through 30. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. If you have already given it your best, if you have already done everything that you can do and it still hasn't been good enough, it can be frustrating for someone to say, just keep trying. Picture the football team that walks into the locker room at halftime. They've already run every play in the playbook. They've already left their blood, sweat, and tears out on the football field, and yet they are down to the number one team in the state, 35 to nothing. Picture the accountant that walks into her boss's office. She's been working on the budget for the past several weeks. She's tried to cut out every unnecessary expense that she can find, and yet she still can't make the numbers work without letting at least a few people go. Picture the 10-year-old who comes back into the house, back aching, face dripping with sweat. It's just been the first snowfall of the year, six inches of that really wet, heavy stuff, and Dad looked at the 10-year-old, handed him the shovel, and said, have at it. And in response, as each one of those people walks back into the room, having, having already given their best and done all that they can do, The coach and the boss and the dad all say, just keep trying. One of the things that makes that advice so frustrating is because it's incomplete. More information is required. Sure, I'll keep trying, but keep trying what? What have I been doing wrong? What do I need to be doing differently? In fact, you've maybe heard that old expression that to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting the results to be different, that's sometimes called the definition of insanity. Yeah, so keep trying. Keep trying at what? In contrast, there is some advice that is very, very simple, very clear, very easy to follow. No further information is required. Do you know what it is? If someone says to you, give up. It's simple, it's clear, it's easy to follow. Just give up. Well, what have I been doing wrong? Well, who cares? You should just give up. What should I be doing differently? What does it matter? You should just give up. One of those pieces of advice makes things a whole lot more complicated, but one of them makes them very, very simple. And so so it shouldn't surprise us already if given the choice between those two, which one we would expect to hear from our Savior Jesus today. All this month, we've been going through this worship series that's entitled Get to the Heart of It. We've been trying to take big ideas of the Christian faith, ideas that sometimes get very, very complicated and make them simple once again. And today, we're trying to do that with this idea of faith. Faith is really what is at the heart of each and every one of us. It's what makes us tick. Faith is more than just the way we feel about something. It's more than just what we hope is going to happen. It's more than just thinking that something is true even though even when we can't prove it or don't have evidence for it really faith is what we trust in faith is what we rely on faith is the basis for our confidence first of all in ourselves second of all in our present and and third of all in our future and when it comes to faith there are really just two options one of those options only makes things more complicated and one of those options makes things very simple 
And so it shouldn't surprise us which of those two we're going to hear from our Savior Jesus today. As, as we look at these verses from Luke 18, Jesus isn't going to tell us to just keep trying, to give it our best, to never give up. No, instead, as we look at these verses, we're going to see that Jesus' goal is to get us to give up. Well, to give up what? That's an important question to answer, I suppose. And it, it all started when this man came to Jesus with this question. He asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a very revealing question. It first of all reveals what Jesus wants us to give up, what this man was after. This man was after something that he thought Jesus had, and, and he wanted it too. He gives Jesus that label, good. And that's the label he wants for himself. He wants to be able to tell himself that he's good. He wants other people to think the same way. In fact, part of the reason he knows that having that label is so important is because he knows it is necessary for eternal life. He knows that one day God will be standing there, sort of like the quality control inspector at the end of the assembly line, and he will be picking up every single human being that comes off the conveyor belt of life and inspecting them. And if they are found to be good, he will keep them. He'll put a little sticker on them and, and keep them, and off to heaven they go. And if not, they get thrown out. That's what this man is after. His question also reveals how he assumes he's going to get it. He says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He assumes that in order for him to get that label of being good, that's going to be up to him. Obviously, he, he figures that he's not quite there yet. That's why he's coming to Jesus. But, but maybe if he just keeps trying or maybe with a little bit of help and direction from Jesus, then hopefully he can get there. But what's interesting is that right from the very get-go, Jesus sends a very different message. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You want to wear that label of good, but, but no one is good. In other words, stop trying. Just give up. This question that this man asked was very revealing. It's also very common. In fact, everything that this question revealed about what was in this man's heart is actually deeply living within the heart of every single human being, including all of us. Sure, plenty of people aren't thinking, it, thinking about it quite in religious terms like this man was. Not everyone is concerned about whether or not they're going to end up in heaven someday. But each and every one of us, just like this man, wants to wear that label good. We want to be convinced that we are good people and we want other people to think exactly the same thing. In fact, just as evidence of that, consider how difficult it is getting to have polite and civil disagreements with people. And at least a big part of the reason for that is because whatever the issue might be, the way that that issue is framed is no longer in terms of just different people having different viewpoints. But in terms of one of those viewpoints being morally good and one of those viewpoints being morally evil. Think, for example, about your role as a parent. From the very first moment you become a parent, every decision that you make, what you're going to feed your child, the diapers you're going to put on your child, as they get a little bit older, the shows that you're going to allow them to watch on television, the age at which you're going to allow them to get their own phone. 
Or think about your lifestyle in general. Think about the food that you eat and where that food comes from. Think about the products that you use to clean your house or wash your clothes. Think about the car that you drive and what fuels that car. Or think about all of those things that might fall under the the big and ever-increasing umbrella of politics. Issues like immigration and education and health care and taxes and the climate. In each and every case, the issue is not framed in terms of what might be wise versus unwise or what might be ideal, but what might be a little bit more practical and realistic. No, more and more, almost always, in fact, the issue is framed in terms of one perspective being morally good and one perspective being morally evil. And the reason for that is because deep, deep down, we all want to be convinced that we are good people. We all want to wear that very same label that this man wanted to wear. And by nature, we are also convinced that we need to earn it in exactly the same way he did. That ultimately earning that label is up to us. And so it's, it's really no surprise that much of what falls under the category of religious instruction these days is going to follow that very same message. That in one way or another, it's going to focus on you and what you need to do. It's going to encourage you to just keep trying. In fact, I know of only one religious leader in all the world who ever said just the opposite message. The one that we meet in these verses. You want to be good? No one is good except God alone. In other words, stop trying, just give up. Now, it's one thing for Jesus to say that. It's another thing for him to actually convince people to do it. It sounds so bad, doesn't it? To quit, to give up. It sounds so un-American. In fact, it's the last thing that in our hearts we want to do. So how in the world is Jesus going to get this man to give up? Well, Jesus starts by rattling off some of the commandments that the man would have to keep if he really did want to be good. He says things like, do not murder do not steal, do not cheat on your spouse. The man hears those commands and he thinks to himself, you know what, I've been doing a pretty good job at those. So Jesus has to up the ante a little bit with this rich man. He says to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Here's where this story, this interaction with this man seems to be confusing and seems to get complicated. Did Jesus really want this man to do that? And did the man really have to do that if he wanted to get into heaven? Well, we might think of it this way. Go back to that football team that's down 35 to nothing to the number one ranked team in the state and it's only halftime. Imagine if at halftime the coach huddled his team together and he said, all right, boys, I've got good news. There's just one thing that we need to do in order to win this game. In the next 10 minutes, each and every one of you needs to get four inches taller and add 15 pounds of pure muscle mass and get 50% faster than you currently are right now. That's it. That's all we have to do and we'll win. Or what if the boss said to that accountant, well, good news. There's just one thing that you need to do in order to make these numbers work so that we don't have to fire someone. All you have to do is go down to the gas station, buy a lottery ticket, win the jackpot, and then we'll have plenty of money in order to be able to pay everybody. Or what if the dad said to that 10-year-old son, good news, there's just one thing that you need to do. Go outside and turn up the temperature. 
you know, like on the air, on the atmosphere. Turn it up to 75 degrees, and then you won't have to shovel because it'll just all melt away. That's it. That's all you have to do. In any of those cases, do those people, does that coach, that boss, that dad, want those people to actually do those things? Of course not. In fact, they're trying to illustrate just the opposite. They're trying to illustrate just how impossible the situation is. They're trying to get them to give up. And that's the very same thing that Jesus wanted this man to do when he told him to go and sell everything that he had. That's the very same thing that he wants you and I to do as well. You see, it would be very easy for us when we think about this this label that we all want to wear of being good to sort of go running down the list of all of the Ten Commandments and to think to ourselves, boy, this is pretty easy work. For example, it might go something like this. When you go to Miller's after church today and you get to the checkout line, don't hold up the cashier at gunpoint and demand that she give you all of the money in the register. Don't do that. That would be a bad thing. Or tomorrow when you go to work or when you go to school and someone does something that really, really irritates you for the 35th time, don't punch them in the face. Don't do that. That would be a bad thing. Or when you leave the house in the morning and you leave your family behind, when evening comes, go back to that same house and go back to that same family instead of looking for a new one. If that were all God expected out of us, I don't know about you, but by tomorrow evening, I'm going to feel like a pretty good person, right? That sounds like pretty easy work. Never mind the fact that even when it comes to our interactions with our neighbors, God's expectations are far, far higher than that. But even before we get there, Jesus wants us to know what is the first and the most important thing. Commandment numero uno. Love God above all things. And so Jesus looks at this man's heart and he realizes that this man loves his possessions more than he loves God. So he tells him to go off and sell them all. If Jesus looked into your heart or if he looked into my heart, he might say the same thing. He might say something completely different. But here's the point. Jesus wants us to realize that when it comes to keeping the Ten Commandments, it's not as if we get 90% of the way there and then we just need a little bit of help and encouragement to make it that last 10%. No, when it comes to keeping the Ten Commandments, we can't even get past the very first one. It is true, as Jesus says, that we just lack one thing. But that one thing is the first thing. That one thing is the most important thing. In fact, that one thing is everything. And so if the one thing that you lack is the first thing, the most important thing, and everything, what should you do? Keep trying? Or just give up? Well, unfortunately, this man didn't get the message. He loved his possessions, as Jesus correctly pointed out, and he wanted to continue to love his possessions. And so we're told that he went away sad because he had great wealth. We never get the opportunity to hear what Jesus would have said to him had he listened, had he gotten the hint, had he given up. But thankfully, he wasn't the only one who was listening to Jesus' words. There were a bunch of followers around him as he said these things. They, they heard this interaction. They listened to what Jesus said. And when they did, they said, well, Lord, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? If this is what it takes to be good enough to wear that label of good and to earn our way to eternal life, then who is up to the task? They were ready to give up. 
And thankfully, that allows us to say what Jesus had wanted to say. That allows Jesus to say what he had wanted to say all along. That allows him to explain why he wants us to give up trying to earn that label of being good for ourselves. He said to the disciples who asked who could be saved, what is impossible with man is possible with God. The very thing that you and I cannot do, God can. In fact, that's the very reason God sent Jesus into this world, to be good. To take all of those obligations of living up to every one of God's commands and to do those things for us. To take all of our sins and all of our shortcomings, every time we had broken every one of God's commands, to take those on himself and to pay for them with his death on the cross. Jesus is sort of like the boss who tells the accountant to give up trying to make the numbers work because he's about to reach into his pockets, pull out his own money, and pay everyone's salary himself. Jesus is like the father who tells the 10-year-old boy to stop trying to shovel the driveway because he's about to grab the shovel and go out there himself. Jesus is the only religious leader who tells people to give up because he is the only religious leader who wants to do everything that is required for his people. In fact, I I know I've showed you this before, although it's been a while, uh, comparing some of the famous last words of two very famous religious leaders. One of them is Buddha, who apparently said on his deathbed, right before he died, to all of his followers, work hard to gain your own salvation. Keep trying, in other words. In contrast, you're maybe familiar with some of the last words that Jesus spoke to his followers before he died on the cross. It is finished. Jesus wants us to give up trying to earn that label ourselves because he wants to offer us that label as a completely free gift. He wants our faith. He wants the thing that is making us tick deep down in our hearts not to be the work that we do for him, but instead the work that he has done for us. You know, it's really too bad that over the years, there have been a lot of people, not just this one guy, who have really struggled with the idea of giving up. In fact, I I wanted to tell you a quick story that involves that hymn that we just sang before the sermon. If you rewind 500 years, a lot of Christians, maybe even most of the Christians living in the world, believed that in order for them to be good, they needed to keep trying because that's exactly what their religious leaders were telling them to do. One of them was a man by the name of Paul Sparatus. Paul Sparatus grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, and he believed everything the Roman Catholic Church told him about everything that he needed to do and all that he needed to keep trying to work on in order to be good enough for God. But then when the Lutheran Reformation started in this city called Wittenberg, Germany, a man by the name of Martin Luther was preaching the very ideas that we're looking at this month, including the idea that we are saved not by our works, but by God's grace and through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul Sparatus heard that message, believed that message, but that put him very much at odds with the Roman Catholic Church. In fact, he was forced to flee all the way down to the country that we would call the Czech Republic, where he went into hiding. But while he was in hiding, he wrote this hymn, a hymn that kind of became popular, that continued to spread. In fact, eventually, way up on the shore of the Baltic Sea, there was a poor street performer who heard this hymn, learned this hymn, started to put it into his repertoire, into his act. And eventually, back down in Wittenberg, Germany, 
that street performer was singing that hymn Paul Sparatus had written right outside the office window of one Martin Luther. And as Luther was there working with the window open, he heard the words of this beautiful hymn. He had to run downstairs and see who was singing it and where they had gotten it. These are the words of that hymn that we just sang. Salvation unto us has come by God's free grace and favor. Good works cannot avert our doom. They help and save us never. Faith looks to Jesus Christ alone who did for all the world atone. He is the one redeemer. That is the theme song. That is the national anthem for people who have given up, for quitters, for people who are trusting only in the work that Jesus has done for us. And when Luther realized just how far and wide these ideas were spreading, he was actually brought to tears. I think it's at least as amazing, maybe even more amazing, that 500 years later, many, many more miles away, there's a room full of people like this who are singing those very same words. A room full of quitters, singing about all of the quitting that they have done. Friends, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing to rely entirely on our God. Yes, we lack just one thing, but yes, that one thing is the first thing, the most important thing. It is everything. And yet, even though we must rely entirely on our God, the wonderful news is that time and time again, God has proven that he is up to the task. Amen. Amen.